0: Moving on in our study of John's Gospel this week, we come to chapter 5, as you saw in the video, where Jesus heals a man who is sitting by a pool waiting to be healed. If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to John chapter 5, and we're going to read before we jump in any further. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on these porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the one who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. So again, this is a Sunday school story that most of us have heard our entire lives growing up. But as we look at it today through the context of John writing this passage, what I hope it does is I hope it changes a little bit of the understanding of how the gospel message is A, to be shared and B, to be heard. If you will notice in this passage, John took the opportunity to include our favorite friends, the Pharisees, in there. And very quickly after Jesus performed his miracles, it was the Pharisees who interceded on behalf of the church to let this man know that he was not doing things the right way. Now, just to recap for you so that you do not forget... When John was writing this gospel, he was writing it to some young Jewish people who had become believers of Jesus Christ and as a result had been uh, excommunicated from their Jewish community. They were no longer welcome to go to temple and to take part in the things that they had done their whole life. They were no longer welcome with their family or friends or the people that they had depended on and the people that they had built relationships with their entire existence. And so they were left out in what you would consider a new world with no resources, with nothing to go on except for what they had been told that they were supposed to do in faith. And so as John writes this gospel, what he does is he delivers Jesus in such a way so that as they hear the way that Jesus is working and they hear the way that Jesus moves in the lives of individuals, what he is trying to do is he is trying to get them to understand that Jesus is working in every situation that we could ever experience. And I think that by the time we finish John's Gospel, you will see that almost every situation or every, almost every um, place that you can be in life, Jesus addresses with these people, whether it's they're hungry, whether it's they're homeless, whether they've been excommunicated, whether they're depressed, whether they're ill. Jesus intercedes in some way in their life, and because of that, experience healing now we know the full purpose and the total goal the the final goal of god in the gospel is to restore what sin had broken and we understand sin in the basic terms of uh, mean people doing bad things doing things that we know the bible tells us that we're not supposed to do but a lot of times we don't really talk about the natural effects of sin in creation You know, there are things called natural sin. There's things called intentional sins. Intentional sins are the things that you and I do because we're hard-headed. That's where Jesus talks about that hardness of heart, and that's where Jesus talks about those that turn away from the light. Those are intentional sins. When we know what we should do, we know the truth, we know what is right, yet we choose to do something different because we think we know better or we want something that we don't think we're going to get if we do things the right way. But then there's also that natural sin, sins that just naturally occur as a result of something not perfect having affected God's perfect creation. Tornadoes, inclement weather, hurricanes, all those destruction things like you can think of. War, I think that would be a good mix between intentional and natural sin. There's always some kind of devastation, pollution, illness. You know, um, one of the, the biggest issues that faces the church is how do we explain a God when things happen in the world, such as children being born with disabilities or people getting sick and dying or war or things like that going on. I think that's the number one question that people want to know from the church is why, how, how can you serve a God if things like that happen? Or why can you say that God exists if things like that happen? Well, that is a result of natural sin things like that happen because sin has entered into god's creation and has messed it up it's twisted it it's made it something different it's made it something less than what god created and in this story here we encounter a man who john says had been ill or had been paralyzed for 38 years now in the video here it shows this man was probably up in his 60s something like that Uh, But scholars said, you know, he could be a 38-year-old man. He could have been um, paralyzed his entire life. We don't know. That's really not the point. The point is, for a long time, this man was not able to do something that God had created humanity to be able to do. So I want us to talk about the setting in which this place happens. Um, I've got some pictures for you today. Yeah, i got pictures. So how about that? Uh, So the Pool of Bethesda was somewhere right off of the Temple Mount, as you can see in the picture. Uh, And it was described as a place with two large pools and five big porches. Now, it's not the cool porches like we have now where you have rocking chairs and sweet tea and you get to sit out and talk and chat. No, they were like really big colonnade things. They had columns on each side and a covering. You could go there and get out of the sun. There were pools all around Jerusalem. These weren't the only pools in Jerusalem, but these had a specific purpose. Each pool in Jerusalem had a specific purpose. If it was either watering livestock, or it was gathering for social events, or in this case, it was a pool for healing. The pool of Bethesda uh, is known as the House of Mercy. So in the Jewish tradition and Jewish culture, and here in Jerusalem, the Pool of Bethesda is where people who were ill would go to get help with their ailments. Sometimes they drank ale. I don't know. <laughs> um, so here you see in this picture, Jesus is meeting uh, with the guy at the well. We saw that in the, in the video there. So people would either go in um, the waters. So you ever heard of a little place called Hot Springs, Eureka Springs? You know, back in the day, people thought there was such medicinal quality to these hot waters. This may have been the case here. These may have been naturally heated waters. They may have been heated through some system that had been set up uh, by the city government. We don't know. But this was the place where people would go to receive healing. And you can imagine there were probably a place that doctors and other people selling some kind of remedies would probably go and attempt to help these people. That's what it was known for. Um, So... The cool thing about this passage of Scripture, however, is we are actually reading parts that weren't in the original manuscripts. And John's original manuscript, the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4, which we did not read today, weren't there. But at some point later on, that section was included or was added by a scribe so that people like you and I would be able to understand the context and the importance of these two pools. You see, for a Jewish person who would be reading John's letter at the time in which he wrote it, they understood very clearly what the point and the purpose of the Pool of Bethesda was. But if you and I were to read about the Pool of Bethesda without any background on it whatsoever, we wouldn't know anything about it, would we? So, the scribe added in verse 3, the blind, lamed, and the paralyzed. The The original text just said, crowds of sick people lay on the porches. But for us, it says the blind, lame, and the paralyzed people laid on the porches. For at a certain time during the day, an angel would come down and dip his hand in the water and make the water have healing properties. So, that's an area of debate that people fight over. Was there really an angel that touched the water? Or was it just you know medicinal qualities and people got in there and soaked up the nutrients? We don't know. I'm going to go with the former, or with the prior. I think Jesus, or I think an angel did come and touch the water because I think God wants to do those kinds of things for us. We live in a society in a time where God's miracles are really cool to talk about. But we don't really want to acknowledge them because it's kind of weird and we can't explain it. And we don't like things we can't explain. But I think an angel did come and actually touch the water. And this was one of the ways that God provided for his people. So point aside... The scribe added this so that you and I would understand what exactly is going on in the setting that it is going on. So the man is sitting here by the water, which he has done every day for 38 years. Here's the deal. I'm 37. Yes. I've been telling people I was 36 all year and Whitney told me, no, you're 37, dummy. (laughs) Uh, I'll be 38 in a couple of months. So, so basically, as long as I've been alive, this, go, this guy has gone to this pool in hopes that he would be healed. But for some reason, he has not been. And so Jesus approaches him, and he says, Would you like to get well? Now, that seems like a dumb question, doesn't it, Jesus? A man is lame. People around him are walking everywhere, are doing well in life, and he is sitting on a mat outside a body of water, hoping that one day he can get better. What, that is the very definition of crazy, is it not? Every day going back. So he says, would you like to get well? So this is what we would call a rhetorical question. Jesus is not going, well, do you want to get well or do you want to? I I think Jesus knew the actual answer to that. But what he is asking the man is that, is there some reason why you have come to this place every day for 38 years and nothing has happened? Have you ever wondered that about somebody? You see something going on in their life and you're like, well, why don't you change something? You know, this is the definition of insanity, trying something the same time over and over and over again and expecting different results. So Jesus says, well, do you want to get well? Like, seriously, dude, what's going on? Why are you still here? Or maybe Jesus' question is evidence of a lost hope on perhaps the, the perspective of this man that every day for 38 years he has come to this place because he doesn't know what else to do. This is the pool of healing, and if anything is going to happen, this must be the place. But for 38 years, nothing has happened, but he just doesn't know what else to do. So in verse 7, the man responds that he would love to get well, but he has no one to put him in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. That is the definition of what you would call not a fighter. I'll just go there. Like, I I remember when I was, like, in the fifth grade reading that, and I was like, hit somebody with a stick. I don't know. You know, I'm just sitting. Why didn't he just sit on the edge, and when he sees a bubble, just roll off? I I don't know. But the man's response showed that on his own, he couldn't change his situation. And do you see what John is beginning to do in this story already? He's beginning to tell his young readers the gospel message that we had just heard about with Nicodemus, that we had just heard about with the woman at the well, that we had just heard about with this centurion's son. Now he is, he is presenting it to a different person in a different context with different factors playing into the reason why each one of us need Jesus Christ. So the man says that I can't put myself in a place of healing, but I need somebody to help me. But for 38 years, I have not had anybody. You would think after 38 years, somebody would get sick of him asking at least and would gladly push him in the water. So we don't know where this this guy is at to where he is still in this situation. And what I think we are seeing happening here is that this man is unable to understand everything that is going on around him and within him. Like I said, for me it was common sense. If the water bubbles, you got to be one of the first ones in. You get as close to the water as you can. You know, if nothing else, you sit right on the steps so people inevitably have to kick you in on their way in. But for some reason, he didn't think like that. For some reason, there was something limiting him from receiving this healing that he so desperately needed. But he came to the place where he knew healing existed. You see, sadly, churches every Sunday are are filled with people in this same situation. They know that church is a place of hope. They know that Jesus Christ did something amazing on the cross... And so they go to the place where they know that healing is possible, but yet there is something that is keeping them from hearing what is happening. There is something that is still blocking them from from getting what they need in order to be made better. And and I think that's what we're seeing here uh, with this individual, is that there is something in his life that is keeping him from noticing the things that are right in front of him. We call that spiritual common sense. But we learn very quickly that without the Holy Spirit guiding us, things that should be common sense aren't really that easy to discern and understand. So Jesus uh, approaches the man and he looks at him and he says something that only Jesus can do. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Man, how amazing would it be if our medical field could work like that, huh? You walk in and go, you're healed, go home. It would be great, wouldn't it? It would really hurt a lot of these research companies, but I think it would be good for the population as a whole. So Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk, and instantly the man was healed. It says that he rolled up his mat. I love it that he, he still understood that he had belongings he had to take with him. I'm fairly certain that if I couldn't walk for 38 years and some guy told me to stand up and walk, the last thing I'd be worried about is rolling up my mat. I would be gone. But it says he rolled up his mat, and he took it with him. But then we see the interceding of those who know the right way. The Pharisees, as as you saw, I love the way that the video portrays it, and I love the fact that the old dude just keeps on walking after they said something to him. He's like, I ain't got time for you. But immediately they noticed that, yes, this man had been healed, which I don't know why that didn't amaze them. I I don't know what's happening in their lives to where this dude that had been paralyzed for 38 years just got up and walked away. That was not their first thing to go, oh, that dude just walked away and he's been sitting here for 38 years. That wasn't what caught their attention. It was the fact that it was the Sabbath and that this man was carrying a mat. How ridiculous is that? That's what the video we started out the service was meant to help us to think about. How one person addressed the part and played the part and looked the part, but yet the other person couldn't understand why that was so important if it wasn't necessary to know the king which he was going to meet. So uh, what we see on this Sabbath healing uh, is something that was meant to restore. If you remember when God first instituted the Sabbath rest for his people, it was a day when they were to do absolutely no work whatsoever. As a matter of fact, they had a very limited list of things that they could do that would be acceptable. Other than that, they were just supposed to rest and exist. That sounds like an amazing day, doesn't it? It's not. I'll tell you, we've become so accustomed to doing stuff that we don't have anything to do. We will go crazy. We can't do it. And I think that's exactly where God wanted us to be with Sabbath rest, is to not have our brains so full of stuff that we cannot focus on one thing. Funny story. So Whitney and I were having a conversation about one thing last night, and we kind of finished it. And then for a second I sat there, and then I asked her something, and she didn't answer me, and I looked over at her, and she's got this weird look, and she goes, That's where you went after this entire conversation? I said, you don't understand. I've already fixed things in my mind and come up with a new fiscal plan for 2022. I've already thought about all these things. We have become so ingrained in doing and thinking and making sure that things are taken care of and our priorities are figured out that we really don't just have any time to sit and to ponder And I will tell you that beings created by God for a purpose to be in community and fellowship with Him, we were created to experience those moments where we don't have anything consuming our mind to where we can sit and just be in awe and in wonder of the God who created us. That is the whole reason that God created this day of rest, is so that after a whole week of work that His people could sit there and go, God, I thank you for this week that we just had. That my family was fed, that our house was here, that we weren't attacked by robbing invaders. And I understand life looked a little different back then. They couldn't come in and turn on the thermostat and get heat when it was cold outside. They had to chop the wood. They couldn't go and buy a loaf of bread if they They had to make the bread at the time. So the activities of daily living were a little bit more involved than they are now. But they were meant to spend each day resting and relaxing and remembering the goodness of their God. But you see, the problem that these Pharisees are approaching here in this passage of Scripture is almost exactly how we're approaching life today. They guarded the Sabbath because they knew that's what they were supposed to do. It was something that was required of them. To observe the Sabbath in all of its ways. And to not mess up or to not miss anything. But to make sure that they observed it the way that they were supposed to do. But you see on the other hand we're probably exactly the opposite. We, we love the idea and the concept of the Sabbath. But we've got too much stuff to just have a day where we can sit and relax. Even if the purpose of that day is supposed to be to sit And ponder the goodness of our God. And what happens as a result of that? We become stressed out. We say, well, God, I just don't have any time. Well, I would love to do a Bible study, but I just don't have time for that. Well, I would love to take a day and spend with my family, but I just don't have time for that. So the Sabbath has always been something in controversy with people. But in this instance, it was something that was meant for rest and rejuvenation, but instead it had become something that was uh, made as more of a weapon of authority and control. And we know that the Pharisees were good about that, weren't they? They were good at weaponizing the things of God in order that they might hold it up over other people. But you know what I read when I read that passage of Scripture? I read it over, and I read it over, and I read it over again, because I've been kind of fixated on the Pharisees uh, as we've been reading through John's Gospel, and it's not that I'm sitting there going, man, they were such boneheads. I'm sitting there looking at them going, man, we are so similar to who they were. We are so similar to these people that we talk about in Sunday school as being the enemies of Jesus Christ. But we're the church. But they were the church. Do you see the problem? you see my my worry there? In this instance, they were mad that this man had not upheld tradition. That this man had not followed the rules and the things that he knew he was supposed to do. And it made me ask myself, how, how do we present the gospel of Jesus Christ? As representatives of Jesus, as representatives of the church, understanding and knowing the laws of Jesus and understanding that Jesus calls us to obedience, how do we present the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because there's two ways we can present it. We can present it in a pharisaical way of, here's a list of things of do's and don'ts. Here's a list of the things that the way you can look and the way that you are not supposed to look. Here's what is expected of you. Here's what is not expected of you. And according to Scripture, that's acceptable, is it not? Remember, the the Pharisees were just following the the laws of God. They weren't coming up with their own things. They were following what was written in, in the Scriptures. But here's Jesus himself who has just broken the law of the Sabbath. You remember later on, they try to pin him for working on the Sabbath again. And so, they're burned that this man, this Jesus, has broken the rules. But it makes me me wonder that as we as the church, do we protect our traditions and our expectations more than we understand them as the means and the method by which we share the love of Christ? Because the Sabbath was meant for something good. It was not meant to authoritarily make sure that nobody did anything. Verse 11 and 13, the man replied that the one who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. He didn't know because Jesus disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. I'm going to be honest with you, when I was a kid and I read that passage of scripture, I saw Jesus catching him like a gangster would, pulling him off in the corner, going, now listen here, I did this for you, so now you owe me, or I don't want to see you doing it again. And I've carried that image with me of Jesus going, okay, I hooked you up, you better not mess up now, or else. And you know, often that's what we tell people. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you better believe in Jesus, and if you sin again, you just better understand that God's going to smite you. Well, thank God that is not the case. Amen. We'd all be in trouble. But what we are seeing here is Jesus is inviting this individual beyond the healing moment. Every time I read the Bible, I'm like, man, that is such a, these people are so dumb. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, man, if I got to walk with Jesus for just one day, my faith would never be rocky again. If I saw God lead me through a pillar of fire at night, I would never doubt God again. But for some reason, we're humans, and that's not the case, is it? You would think that this man here, having been healed and and, and being able to walk now, after not being able to walk for 38 years, would not have a problem being a faithful person to Jesus Christ. But Jesus catches him here, and he invites him to go even beyond that. And he says, so stop sinning or else something worse may happen. What could be worse than that? What Jesus is doing is he is showing him that with Christ, with an invitation to faith, comes an invitation to freedom. This man had once been impaired and unable to live life to the fullest. But because Jesus interceded, he was invited to freedom through faith. Remember, for 38 years, this man did what he was supposed to do. He showed up at the place of healing, expecting and and knowing that this is when the healing takes place. He was following all the rules. He was doing all the things he was supposed to do. He was in the right place at the right time. But yet nothing happened. And Jesus invited him beyond tradition. You know, we, we need to understand as the church that everything that we have here for us is for our good. It exists for us to be able to grow in our understanding of Christ and to grow as the church of Christ in representation for the world. It doesn't exist so that it, it might hold us in place and keep us in check. These are all tools for a purpose. This man had been paying more attention to the procedure and the policy than he had to the purpose and the reason for that. And Jesus invites him beyond that so that he might move beyond an institutional resemblance of an obedient person, of an obedient follower, to become a true, changed person who experiences a new life because of Jesus Christ. Understand in 38 years, this man's religion had never helped him. His observation of the rules, his... Dressing the right way, his being in the right place had never changed his circumstance or his situation. But the moment that he believed the words of Jesus, his life was forever changed. How many people go to church every Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do? Sunday is church day. They know that there's something in their life that they want to change. They know that there's something in the Bible that they want to see happen in their life, but for some reason it doesn't happen. Every day they wake up and they God, I want that to happen in me. God, I want to be able to experience that, but for some reason it doesn't happen. And each day they were in the right place at the right time. They were doing the things that they were supposed to do. I had my 15 minutes with Jesus at sunrise. I might even do it again before I go to bed. I don't know. It's been a good day. But for some reason, their life is not changing. And here Jesus tells this man to not sin anymore or else something else may happen to you. He's telling this man that rules without faith that lead to a change and repentance in your life will never offer new life. If we read the words but yet we don't allow ourselves to be changed by them, if we don't believe them because Jesus said them, not because somebody in Sunday school class told us to, it's never going to change our life. So Jesus is going to tell us, you may be able to move mountains if you had the faith of a mustard seed. If we only believe that because our Sunday school teacher told us that, and we trust them, we're never going to experience what Jesus meant when he said those words. And Jesus is telling the man here, That if you will follow me in faith, when you hear me speak, you will trust me enough to go or to do what I have told you to do. Then your life will be changed. You wonder, Jesus tells this man not to sin anymore. Something else worse may happen to him. It's like a threat, like I will hit you with my holy car, trust me. We see this man was not able to get in the pool because other people beat him to the pool when the healing was taking place. But as I told you before, was there something in this man's life keeping him from seeing what was right in front of him? For us, is there there something in our life that is keeping us from seeing what Jesus has placed right in front of us? We would say, is there a sin in our life there a doubt in our life we feel God has been calling us to do this for so long we we know that God speaks to his people and he leads his people but we just don't feel like we're being led we're reading the word but we're not seeing the change happen in us perhaps some of our prayers need to go from God let me be able to do this or God let me be able to go this place to God let me see the things that are between me and you that I might get them out of the way God, open my eyes to see the things in my life that are keeping me from experiencing the life that you have made possible through your son, Jesus Christ. Was that where this man was? The doubt of his lost hope in his situation was keeping him from tactically planning how to get in that pool first. To me, it, like I told you, it's simple. You fall in. It doesn't matter how you get in. You just got to get in the water. You sit on the edge, you see a bubble, bloop. it's easy peasy. I don't get it, I don't get it. But there was something keeping him from seeing it. Jesus invites him to be led by a new course in life. Beforehand, the man had been led by his situation. I can only do the things that people who are impaired can do. I am limited to what I can physically do right now about my situation. But Jesus invites him to be led By the Holy Spirit. And I know you're thinking, now Matt, that's a little extreme. This is a a moment where Jesus physically healed somebody. Jesus may could do that today. We don't know. But I promise you, if we're limited in our faith and ability to believe that he can do that, he sure can't do it. Because Jesus is never going to do more in your life than you trust him to do. Do you hear me when I say that? Jesus is never going to trust you. or Jesus is never going to work in your life if you don't trust that He can. He's not going to. You read, man, that's awesome. I wish I could be like that. The Bible says we have all things in Christ Jesus. We have all these things already. It's already there. We just have to believe it enough to believe that those are the words that Jesus said to us. And I think something else Jesus was warning the man here is that this moment was awesome in your life. You gained your legs back, but realize that if you don't keep your eyes focused on where they need to be, Sin can very quickly lead you to a place where your situation is as it was before. Believer, that is the same message that you and I need to hear today. And I think that's exactly why John wrote this story to those young believers. As he wanted them to hear, yes, your situation is bad now. And we've seen in the last three stories how if you have faith in Jesus Christ, He's going to carry you through. He's going to provide you the things that you need. He's going to meet you where you are at and He is going to heal you from the things that are impairing you. But now He's saying that you must keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ if you are to continue living in the abundant life that He has invited you to. Because sin is tricky, is it not? There are days I leave the house intended not to sin at all, and before I know it, I've already sinned ten times. Can you believe that? That's irresponsible of me, isn't it? It just happens before I even know it. I don't know how, but it just does. So Jesus is warning this man now, you have had a new life. Be sure that you conduct yourself in such a way that you keep it. You see, that's why God gave his people rules. That's why God gave his people the Sabbath. That's why Jesus calls us to obedience, not because he is God and we are peons, and if we don't do it, it gives him reason and justification to smite us. No, it's because he says these things lead to death. This is not how I created you. This is not what I created you for. And if you live this way, you will surely die. Or at least you won't experience my blessings that I want you to have. And he says, but these are the ways that I created you. And these are the purposes I created you for. If you pursue these things, then you will experience the blessing that I've been wanting to pour out on you before you even realized you were a real person. So Christian, the challenge for you and me today as we read this passage of Scripture and as we think about where John was going when he wrote his gospel, we look at the situation of this man and we see ourselves as two different places and and possibly at the same time we see ourselves first as the individual who was paralyzed. There might be something in our life that is keeping us from experiencing that next level that Jesus wants us to go to. When we read in his word of the greatness of what he can do, there might be something that's keeping us from experiencing that, and we just can't see it because we're blinded. And so our prayer needs to be that we can get well. Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? You're here for 38 years and nothing's changed. Do you even want to be better? We have to ask ourselves, do we want to be better? Do we want Jesus to reveal to us the things that are keeping us from seeing where he is going and where he wants us to follow him? And then also, we see ourselves in the position of the Pharisees. A lot of times, we measure those people around us, and we measure other people based on our own righteousness. Well, I went to church this past Sunday. I'm a member of a Sunday school class. I have my own Bible with my name on it. had it since high school. And we look at other people. Where's your Bible? Oh, you weren't in church Sunday, you sinner? Oh, you don't go to church? Oh, you're going to burn. We need to be careful that we don't make the things that God gave us for goodness. And we don't present the love that Jesus gave us while we were in our worst place in our own lives. And we hold it over other people as a way that they can't get. That might have been the whole reason why this man had never been healed. Is because he had been told by these Pharisees that if you don't get in the water, as soon as it starts bubbling, you can't be healed. What if he could have gotten healed the whole time if he had just jumped in the water and trusted it? You see, the way they presented what was available is the way that he perceived it. And sadly, many people will never believe in Jesus or will become hostile to the idea of a life in Christ because of the way that it was presented by God's own people. That's a place we don't want to be. Either one of those places. Jesus invites us to new life. To new heights. To new experiences. To discover God in a way that we had never even thought possible. In a way that the words written on this page that we we would say are miracles. Can become everyday life. Think about that. That if the things that you read about that are called miracles in here, could become an everyday occurrence. It's only going to happen if you trust that Jesus said it could happen. And Jesus said it could happen several times. But do we trust him enough to believe it? And then is that the message of Christ that we are sharing with the world that we go out and live in each day? Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this meeting with this man at the well. And God, we ask, we ask that we would be able to see this own situation in our own lives. That we would be able to realize that we are impaired by the things that are not of you that are still in our life. And God, we ask that through the work of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to humble ourselves enough to pray to you. And to ask you to make make us aware of those things. God, just as the man was unable, unable to change his situation before Jesus, so too we are unable to change our situation. First in our salvation, and even now in our sanctification. That unless you are the purpose and the power by which our decisions are made, we will never change from who we are now. And then, God, we ask for your protection that we would never become as these Pharisees who are so ready to protect the tradition and the laws of our religion or our denomination that we do so at a cost of somebody hearing the true message of Jesus. That we do so at the cost of not realizing the purpose for which the things you have given us And that they protect us from death and lead us to life. God, be with us as your people. That we might be the hands and feet of Christ. That we might be motivated by what has happened in our own heart. And that we would share the love of Jesus as we have understood it happening in us. An introduction to new life. And an eternity in your presence. We pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.